in middle school when they taught us. It was three branches of the government. We forgot it when we got older. It's the judicial, the legislative, and executive. But all we know is the executive. That's the mayor or the governor and the president. Now, none of them three people make no laws. They just be checking them. The laws come to their desk, and all they do is say no or yes to it. So when the news station tried to tell us that Barack Obama couldn't put us on, we was all Saudi at Obama when it was the Congress members all along. Welcome back, Daytonians. This is another episode of the Dayton Speaks podcast. I'm Christian. And I'm Dakota. And we're sitting here with yet another candidate for our special election series. Today we have Baxter Stapleton, a candidate this election cycle who's running for Congress. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. We're, we're excited happy to have, to have you here. <laughs> okay. Let's jump into it. Um, so, Baxter, who are you? Where are you from? Where do you live and how old are you? I'm Baxter Stapleton. I'm a Centerville native. I graduated from Centerville High School in 2007. And now I'm a Dayton resident living in downtown Dayton. And I'm 32 years old. Nice. Okay. So you're running for an office. (laughs) Which office are you running for? I'm running for U.S. Congress. So I'm not sure when this will be released. But as of right now, it's District 10. Mm -hmm. But the district map is being redrawn. So... Our district here in Dayton could potentially be a new number, so mm-hmm. we will know very soon as to how the new map is going to look. Mm-hmm. So, um, no matter what the new district is, I'll be asking for everyone's vote to serve them in Congress, and really excited to see how our, our new map is reflective of our area. And hopefully, okay. we're fighting for a fair map, and that <laughs> you know we can have better representation, which is another reason why I'm running as well. Okay, can nice. you give the listeners like maybe a qu- quick brief of why the district is changing, just so they're aware of everything that's going on? Absolutely, so what's different between, you know, the way the Constitution was written for our representation, we have the Senate, which is more like a kind of a, more of executive level position, where it's every six years you have a member of the Senate is up for re-election, whereas Congress is supposed to be the people's house, reflective of the needs and wants of you know, the everyday people. And by that, every 10 years, our census is taken, kind of seeing how populations are changing within an area. Mm-hmm. And so with the population change, then uh, Congress is reflective of where the people are. Because every member of Congress is supposed to represent around 750,000 people. So districts are drawn uh, to best reflect you know, where the people are. So every 10 years we have a new congressional map as well as a state representative and state senate map. Okay. So th- in each state, there's a commission that's um, led by the governor and then a- a- other statewide leaders who for- form the commission as to how the map is redrawn. Mm-hmm. So right now we have a Republican governor and so what I'm afraid of is that the Republican leadership is going to draw a map that's more in favor of their constituents and so that's why I'm curious to see as to how Ohio will be reflected because we are we've lost people so right now we have 16 members of Congress but we're dropping down to 15 members so we're going to be losing a, a district so our new map will be reflective of that so I'm anxious to see how the map drawers will bring all the people together. Okay. So, so it's basically to say that District 10 may not be District 10 in by October of 2021. So. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, also I want to let people know too that there's been some hearings that the commission has been traveling around the state and it's been awesome to see we have a really strong delegation here in Dayton at Sinclair. Uh, unfortunately I was out of town working on a movie production otherwise I would have been present but uh, I was really happy to see that there were 
people advocating for a fair map and I don't want anyone to feel like their voice is not because a lot of people feel like oh well the map's already drawn so I don't need to say anything but you know if no one shows up then that's not how change works so I'm glad that we've been really pushing for you know a fair map and showing that our voice is loud mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so thank, thank you for explaining that that way the listeners know like oh what what do they mean by district and what did he mean by districts are changing yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's why you fill out your census data, people. Do your damn census. <laughs> it's it's so important. Yeah, it was crazy. I was a census worker in 2010, and so for me, like knocking on doors and then kind of, I've always wanted to be a part of the whole process. Mm-hmm. So I've been a poll worker, and I also worked on the census. So to see like how actually important it is to for people to you know let people know how large your family is and where you live and like mm-hmm. you know that's. Yeah. critical because that those small decisions like lead to much bigger changes mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah okay thank you i think what I, something i heard in there was um fight gerrymandering and now's the time to uh to get in on those commission meetings and let them know <laughs> yeah good one so the whole idea on gerrymandering is that the commission will then redraw a district so it benefits one mm-hmm. party or the other because the whole idea of a fair map is that each district should be 50-50. So mm-hmm. we, have, we currently have a two-party system, so each district should be reflective of uh, the voters we have, Republican, half Democrat. But right now it's 70-30. So mm-hmm. like the, the map is reflective of uh, 70% Republican, 30% mm-hmm. Democrat. So, mm-hmm. so when people say we want a fair map, that's the idea around a fair map, is that no matter what party you are, you should be able to run in a district and it can be competitive. Mm-hmm. All right, so our next question is, what is the uh, job of a congressman? And a federal congressman at that. So outlined in the Constitution, the job is to, you're elected every two years, and once again, the the U.S. Congress is the people's house. So the job of a a representative is to represent the best interests or needs of your community. You're advocating for your community in Congress. So the idea is that all the decisions, laws, all legislation should be of best interest to the people you're serving. So... That's why I'm running. And I think what's happened, because for me, I'm loyal to people and institutions. And I think what's happened with the current Congress is that they're loyal to a party. So even when a new member gets oriented into Congress, they automatically split, split you into two parties. So if I'm a Democrat, I'll go to the Democratic orientation. And if you're a Republican, you go into the Republican orientation. Mm. So for me, I, I think that that's harmful or troublesome because automatically, you're setting up yourself to be like, oh, well, these are my people and those aren't, you're already like clashing. Yeah. And so that's not how Congress has always been. If you look at like the 1970s, Congress actually was much more, you had like liberal conservatives and conservative progressives. You know, it wasn't more like, well, if you're liberal, that means you're Democrat. Maybe you're conservative, that means you're Republican. Like mm-hmm. there was an ideological spectrum was much more fl- fluid. Yeah. And so I, I think that's helpful in a, in a civic discourse because when you're already because right now we, we know that like okay there is this many democrats and this many republicans so if you don't have a majority then you're not going to get anything done because mm-hmm. everyone's voting by party line and I, I think that just because you're that party doesn't mean that maybe that issue from that party is best reflective of yeah. your area so like newt gingrich and nancy pelosi like the half the speakers are the ones who've sort of led that effort mm. and so I think that that needs to change as well because I don't think it's in the best interest of our country to have such a divisive house yeah yeah okay. the next question is very very similar almost the same question but a little bit more nuanced um, so what are the powers of a congressman 
So in terms of like obviously the Constitution created three branches of government, so executive, judicial, and legislative. And the legislative branch actually, I believe, has the most power because the legislative branch has the ability to write laws. They're the ones that have control of the budget. Where the money is being spent, that's you know controlled by the Congress. Also, Congress has the ability to impeach uh, the executive branch and also has the ability to declare war. So when we went to World War One, World War II, like, you know, those are all acts that Congress passed. So really anything that the American people want always begins in Congress. And then it's enforced by the president and then also it's upheld by the courts. So how a bill becomes a law, it's like, you know, someone has to have the idea first and then the idea is brought to Congress and then work through committee. And so really what makes our country so great is that it comes from Congress first. And uh, for our listeners, you know, if you've listened to the song in our special election series by Yellow Pay My Vote Don't Count, he says in his lyrics that, you know, it's not the president that makes the laws or the rules, it's the Senate and the congressmen that Mm -hmm. are the ones that write these and put them into place. The president's just the one that signs off on it. And that's been the troubling part, too, is that a lot of presidents, as of late, have been leaning onto their executive order Mm -hmm. ability, and so that's troubling because that's not really the intention of the president you know the, the goal is that we have the system in place through committee and congress mm-hmm. so that for something to become into effect like it needs to really be like discussed and debated and mm-hmm. to, right. to see through but then to have presidents just quickly creating these executive orders and yeah for example the war in iraq wasn't declared originally through congress like it was president bush so i think that that's why we need to bring people back to what the true intention of what the framers intended for our government to look like and why Congress is so important. Absolutely. And I want to quickly note that the president actually does have the option to submit bills to Congress. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So he, with the aid of his legislative team, can draft a bill or a new law, if you will, to say, we want to build bridges here or we want to donate money to this or that. So they actually have the option to draft an entire bill and submit it to Congress for them to then debate and go through the same process and the same system that regular bills do. So they do have that option, but as you were saying, a lot of them are leaning more on the executive order so that they don't have to go through that process right now. Yep. Um, And actually, anybody really can draft a bill. (laughs) Of course, it would be someone more like a lawyer or an experienced congressperson or a legislative aide who's familiar, you know, with terminology and process and things like that. But really, anybody can can write a bill. Um, You just need to make sure that you get a representative to introduce said bill for you. And then um, that same bill can go through the legislative process as well. Thank you for answering those questions about like what is a congressman and what your powers and everything. So we're going to go into some questions a little more like on the, the subjects, like the things that are going on in the nation. Yeah. So my question is, how do you feel about universal health care and what can you do about it on your part as a U.S. congressperson? So health care is a really complex issue because it really controls most of our life, you know, and well-being. But also for me, I think one of the reasons why Congress should be debating and working through a healthcare policy is it's actually one of the parts of the Constitution. So every two years we have the ability to have an election. Mm-hmm. I think an election is like a progress report or a job evaluation. And so I think when we're evaluating how they're doing, we should look to the Constitution. And so in the preamble, it mentions establishing justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty, 
for ourselves and our posterity, you know, make sure we have a future. And so, you know, one of the key tenets of that is promote the general welfare. So, and for me, it's like, well, if we don't have a country that's healthy and thriving, then that's a problem. So I do subscribe to universal healthcare. And the reason why I subscribe to that is because one thing that I've been noticing about healthcare is that myself, I'm an entrepreneur, I own my own business. So I think competition is super important because when you have competition, that allows for competitive pricing. And what's not happening with healthcare currently, there's a collusion going on. So like hospitals, so if you go to a hospital and you look at your like bill, and you're like, oh my gosh, why is this Band-Aid $30? Like you can go to CVS and buy a pack of Band-Aids for $2, you know what I mean? But like the hospital has the ability to regulate prices. So I think that's one reason why the government should step in in being able to have a stronger healthcare policy is because the government can help in making sure prices are more competitive. And with insurance, insurance is all about risk. So what happens you know, a lot of times with insurance is that the people who are really healthy who don't use a lot of the services of the hospital end up paying for, you know, into a system where it's the ones who have like a lot of need end up using the most of it. So I think finding the right balance. And so I think the Affordable Care Act, unfortunately, isn't really affordable for a lot of people. Even like myself, there are some pretty high premiums as to like how well you, what you're mandated or have to pay under that act. So that's why I think the Affordable Care Act was a great starting place, but it's not where we need to end up. Or I think there needs to be a lot of work that needs to be done. So oh, yeah. that's one thing I'm working on myself. So also as a member of Congress, my job is to represent the best interest of the Miami Valley. So for me, one thing that's unique about our area, especially with healthcare, is that we don't have a county hospital. So traditionally in other areas, like the county hospital is a place for people to go for like Medicare, Medicaid, so you know, like a lot of the government services, but we have Premier Health, Kettering, these are all private you know, yep. companies. So that's what's unique about our area is that those are really major industries for our area. The hospitals are pillars of our community. So I want to make sure that the policy that I craft in Congress is going to be best for the hospitals, but also best for the people. So that's why I do believe the universal system is the future because you shouldn't have to worry. If you're sick, you should be able to go to the doctor. Like you shouldn't yeah. have to worry about that. And you shouldn't have to worry that you're going to go into bankruptcy. Either. Paying for it. You know, paying for it. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that in the constitution, it talks about the general welfare. Mm -hmm. So if we really believe in what we've written, we should uphold that and we should find, and I do believe that there's resources available to like make sure that that's happening for everyone. Yeah. So, yeah. and so, I mean, Bernie Sanders has currently been really vocal about that. And so myself, I think there's a difference between being an activist and a legislator. Mm -hmm. As an activist, I do really believe that people deserve access to healthcare. But then as a legislator, I have to make sure that it's in the best interest of our area. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm talking with heads of Premier Health and Kettering, and I want to talk to all the doctors and dentists and people in, in all the citizens of our area. Mm -hmm. So that's why, as I've announced, I'm going on a multiply tour. So my slogan is multiply, not divide. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that I want to bring people together. By talking with everyone, I want to try and figure out, okay, what's the best healthcare policy for our area? Mm -hmm. So I've been talking to other people and they mentioned value-based healthcare, which is, you know, trying to get people out of ERs and more into like primary care doctors. Yep. And I think there's a lot of really great ideas. And so for me, I would like to present a bill in Congress once elected that would best reflect what the Miami Valley would look like. To answer your question, I do believe in universal health care. Okay. Might have to follow up with you in a few months. I just got into uh, the uh, health insurance industry, so I'm an agent now. Amazing, okay, yeah. yeah. So, but I've learned a lot through it. So like you're talking about all these things, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I brought up like the uh, 
the Affordable Care Act, it really did change a lot. But there's still a lot of stuff to, like, get fixed. And as you brought up, like, you know, there's got to be some... There are, but you really have to dig for them. So, like, when Mm -hmm. I'm trying to help people out, whether they're calling me for assistance, if they're like, hey, is there any way I can get some special needs or some extra help? I I try to see if I can find it. Right. Well, and what's crazy to me is that, like, Medicare is actually a really popular program. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my like my parents are getting older now, and like their friends, like they're actively excited about turning sixty five because <laughs> you know, so, like once you're on Medicare, like you're great. Like and so um and then of course Medicaid, like mm-hmm. you know there's a but then what's challenging about Medicaid is that like you have to be a certain financial level. Yep. So like so, like one of my friends, she's in a wheelchair, and so her mom had to, because she wanted to be able to provide her Medicaid assistance, she had to like classify her as not, not dependent anymore. Like she had to be on her own to be able to qualify because her mom was making $40,000 a year. And mm-hmm. they said that was too much money. So she's like, well, you, you have to like find a way to make less money to be able to get these. And I just thought that was so backwards. Like yeah. you're having to like tell people to like not make money to then be yep. able to afford these. There's so many things within the government that are broken. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to help fix that because I'm just okay. that's like not right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but, give me a couple of months. I'll definitely uh, probably be talking with you if you're. Yeah. To, well, like, and, and even so, like it's complicated. So like mm-hmm. when people say universal healthcare, like I think it's an awesome idea, but then it's like okay, well, how do we actually make that work? There's a, uh, a large company here in town called McGowan Braybender, and McGowan Braybender's job is they help provide health benefits for companies, and even like you know we have CareSource here, so we have a lot of really great options, but. Uh, you know, I don't think it's currently serving everyone. So I think we need to figure out a solution that helps. Because for me, like the reason why I'm asking for people's votes is because I want to serve everyone. So when there, you know, when there's need, I want to help provide a solution to that need. Okay. Yeah. And um, that's awesome. For me, when we get when we talk about uh, universal healthcare and everything, to me, it really kind of comes down to. Um, I'm very much a we need universal health care period and like no other form because to me um, it's just been demonstrated that you can't trust insurance companies you can't trust big pharma you just can't trust these bigger industries that are essentially running health care as it exists in our exactly country. Mm-hmm. and for me like when people say well maybe we can explore a mixed version of this or maybe we can explore some sort of thing where this private sector still exists and I'm like the entire private sector is corrupt and and greedy to me and so we need to make sure that we move into a place where it it basically if it does exist in any form uh, has like they don't have a choice where essentially essentially it doesn't exist in any form there should I don't think there should be a private insurance period because that still leaves room for some people to get screwed over and, and that's honestly just where it boils down to me. It's, it, are we going to take care of everybody or are we going to allow a system that has shown itself to be corrupt to continue to exist so that some people get met, get fucked over but but every, most people don't, you know? It's sort of like... Absolutely. Well, and for me too, one of the main pillars of America is freedom. Mm-hmm. So if we're really a country like advocating for freedom, I believe that also talks about healthcare as well. So like mm-hmm. when you apply for a job, 
one of the, I think, biggest incentives that companies will provide for you are their benefits. So say, oh, we have these benefits for you, mm-hmm. and you know, we'll give you health care, we'll give you dental and eye care, and then like we'll put your family on your plan. <laughs> and so then it's like, oh my gosh, like I need to stay in my job because mm-hmm. if I leave my job, I'm going to lose my benefits. Right. So that's not freedom. That's like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, yeah. you, don't, uh, you don't feel secure because if you leave your job, you're no longer free to be able to have the benefits to make sure you, once again, yep. general welfare. Yeah. Like so, you we're not securing those like blessings to people because they're secured in their job. So I think that if we really are a country that promotes freedom, you should have the freedom to choose your healthcare option and that it should be available to you. Absolutely. So that's that's why I'm really trying to push my conservative friends because I'm like, well, if you're really a patriot and you believe in freedom, like, <laughs> let's talk about that, you know? Cause yeah, nice. that's funny. Yeah, what I heard was um, Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can keep going on that, but yeah. this thing like we say on this yeah, podcast, we, 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 we can do a whole another time. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a whole hour of health Yes, we right. could. Uh, yeah, we'll get into another <laughs> Yeah, so our favorite phrase is that's a, a topic for another episode. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, so the next question is, how do you feel about the LGBTQIA plus community? What is your track record of engagement with this community? And what can you do for them as a congressperson? Uh, well, um, I love the... LGBTQI community. I'm a part of the community, so it's really close to my heart, and it's also a, a main reason why I'm running because that's a huge part of that was a huge part of why I moved away, and to a huge part of why I moved back to Dayton. So I grew up here, and this is my home, but I knew that I was questioning myself in terms of like in, I went to Red State University, but I also went to Cedarville University, okay. and so I was class president at Cedarville University, and I actually had classes with Mike Dewine there. So, so Mike Devine was my professor, and we like. Had, so yeah, so, so we, had, we had we had we had courses around um, campaigns and elections, and like we had apple pie at his house, you know. So, oh my like, gosh! Um, <laughs> uh, but, but for me, like, it was crazy. But like for me, um, one of the like rules at Cedarville is that if you're homosexual, like you get kicked out. Like you know, it's like you're not allowed. You can't be that hurt. And so, like, I was so scared because I was like, if anyone knows, so I, I tried to play this role about, okay, well, I'll dress, a, I'll look a certain way, I'll be a certain way, but I just knew I was, like, not being authentic. Mm-hmm. And one of the key pillars of leadership is authenticity. Like, you know, you want people to know, like, mm-hmm. they can trust you. And so, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if I'm not being myself, like, that really, really, like, messed me up in a big way. So, mm-hmm. like, the middle of my sophomore year, I just, like, had a huge, really depressed, like, mm-hmm. um, so I ended up leaving Cedarville because I was like, I, this is not who I am. And I knew who I was. Yeah. So, so I ended up going to Wright State. But then also, like, looking to our community, I was like, where are, the, where are the LGBT leaders of our community? And our member of Congress has actually actively spoken out against gay and lesbian people. Like, even when he was a mayor of Dayton, there was a law that they were putting in place to help protect LGBTQI plus people to be protected from their jobs so they wouldn't get fired based off of their lifestyle. And so he actively voted no against that and made a really strong point about that. And that stood out to me. And so I was like, where are the people in the community that I can look to as role models? And I didn't really find that. So mm-hmm. that's why I ended up moving to California. I mean, partly for my career, but also to feel safe and secure because I had a lot of shame being in this area, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in church and yeah. a lot of those issues. So mm-hmm. that's also one of the reasons why I'm running is I want to show that this area does really value and care about LGBTQI voices and, and leadership. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and so I mean, my track record, I mean, my whole career, like where I've worked with a lot of 
LGBTQI artist and um, like I've advocated in my work, it's pretty evident. So I'm a video director, so in the videos that I've produced and the types of people that I've collaborated with, I've always supported with every, so I mean, I mean everything within <laughs> that agenda I'm for, so. Okay. So you would say um, lending a hand to visibility absolutely and which yeah. is a big part of my candidacy is that I want to I want to show that the Miami Valley recognizes all voices you know and mm-hmm. so that's why my slogan is multiply not divide because I really believe that we're stronger together and and I do think that's the promise of America is that the country was founded to like be a place where everyone can pursue their happiness mm-hmm. and one thing I'm really struggling with right now even within our like the Democratic Party, is that we're creating a lot of different flags to establish different identities. Mm-hmm. So there's a like a Blue Lives Matter flag, or, or like, or, or first of all, I don't even know what a blue flag is. <laughs> I mean, because I think cops like you know that's a job, but yeah. uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I think cops are you know they're important, they're a pillar in our community, but they're also like it needs to be a conversation as to what that means and what that looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. But also for me, like. There are pride flags. There's been iterations of pride flags. And I think mm-hmm. those are great, but I want the American flag to like stand for what it truly means. I mean, being an LGBTQI person myself, you know, being a gay person myself, I rock a pride flag, mm-hmm. but I also rock the American flag because I want the American flag to represent what it means for everybody. So yeah. I just want people to know that like my heart is supportive of what the country was founded on and like that's why I'm writing is I want people to know that no matter who you are you have the ability to reach your highest potential yeah um yeah I think that's interesting I th- we, we briefly mentioned that before about um how what the American flag sort of means today <laughs> and it's, it's very very kind of far from what what it's supposed to mean and what we want it to mean right but yeah hopefully one day it can get back to that place, but yeah, we, we, we talked about it a we little did. bit, where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you see an American flag now, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> well, and, and, and so I think what's happening now, especially people like within the Democratic Party, it's like, oh, let's find flags that align with my values. That's why I'm like, let's keep voting in people who subscribe to the values of what we were founded on, you know, because I think right. the intention of Declaration of Independence and like, the Constitution is really like, we haven't reached that yet. So mm-hmm. I think we need to keep trying to push closer to get there. It was kind of interesting when you were talking about your Cedar- Cedarville um, experience. Yeah. Because um, me, myself, knowing other LGBTQIA plus people who have attended that college, I actually like I knew it was a Christian college, quote unquote. But, yeah, I knew that too. Um, I didn't. I didn't realize that that was a thing, or that that was even allowed to be a thing. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that a university could remove you. Or something like well, it's a private school, so it's a private university. Well, and what was crazy is that, um, so I was the sophomore class president, and then my friend was the freshman class president, mm-hmm. and wow. we both were we we're both are gay. So mm-hmm. like, really, uh, and so it was like the, both presidents of the school were both gay. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But I think I think that kind of points to the freedoms of private private enterprise, like I was mentioning earlier, can kind of yeah. double edged. Um, but one more thing, and then I want to follow up on the last part of that question. Just because we like to be clear and sometimes name names, uh, you mentioned that the current congressperson had some very strong stances against the. Um, I take it really personally, and that's yeah. a, everyone's asking like, why Congress? Why not like 
another office, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I am a young person, and so this being my first time as a candidate, why not run for Dayton City Commission or something and then go for Congress? But for me, like, I need Mike Turner out of office. I need it yesterday. Like, I need it because mm-hmm. he doesn't reflect the best interests of our area and hasn't for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so I take this race really personally because I know him. And I also know that one of the reasons why I left was because of a lot of the things he said and done in the past. And he said that member of Congress is the top elected office in our area. Mm -hmm. So they reflect our values, you know, sets the tone for what it looks like for leadership in our area. So I'm like, well, if you're the top leader of our area, you don't speak for us anymore because there's a lot of us who, you know, are doing the work and Mm -hmm. we don't see eye to eye. He's actively voted against the, you know, just everything with it. <laughs> I, I mean, I could go into all the details, but yeah. basically, if there if there is an LGBTQ issue, like he's voted no against it. So. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. and I've, I've honestly, Dakota and I like to be active uh, in our community, um, and like to be you know activists and things and you know things in that realm. But I have noticed a lot of times when we're talking about um, certain issues, it seems. His name does come up a lot. Where yeah. it's like, it's well, like, and for me, it's like this guy. Yeah, and for me, like, I, like so, I'm actually going. Uh, I'm the first openly out candidate running for Congress. So, and I think that's really important as well yeah. is to be like open and authentic about who you are. So, mm-hmm. and I'll just leave it at that. So, the last part. <laughs> um, what can you do for the LGBTQIA plus community as a congressman? I think, of course, you. Uh, we can infer from this, but. So a lot of areas, so one I think is around healthcare. So like PrEP, for example, is really important to the community. And so one of the pillars of hopefully around universal healthcare is that I want access to members of our community to be able to have access to mm-hmm. medicine and things and so make sure that they have the best welfare and healthy life. Mm-hmm. And also like access to, you know, being able to love and marry who they want to. So being able to protect that is really important. And so there actually has never been a law passed around LGBTQ issues, mm-hmm. uh, it's all really been upheld through the courts. Mm-hmm. So like the freedom to marry was upheld through the Supreme Court. It wasn't a law through Congress. I would much rather see us creating laws than having to go through the court system to be able to protect those rights, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for me, I, I would much rather write the laws and get them passed versus having to, us to fight through the courts. Because even like, you know, the, the Loving Act, so being able to like marry mm-hmm. interracially, like that was never a law, it was a court case. So mm-hmm. I think every area around diversity, I think, should be a, like a law versus having to go through the courts. So I would want to advocate for that in Congress. Okay. So how do you feel about pay inequality and what can you do about it as a congressman? So there's a lot of talk right now about the inequality between men and women. So there's, I know like Elizabeth Warren and a bunch of other members of Congress have been speaking out about that. That's definitely something that I want to help address and making sure that you know women are paid fairly. So I would love to co-sponsor legislation around that. What's awesome is that we have some incredible women CEOs and executives in the Miami Valley. So I would love for them to help speak out on that as well because you know I want to multiply our voices together. And I think that because we have so many great female leadership here, that it's super important as why we need to protect that. Yeah, I'm all for equality in that way. Um, nice. So that was inequality, inequality amongst the sexes. Um, can I plant the seed of thinking uh, pay inequality between like workforce and um, executive level versus um, entry level, um, and just like the pay inequality as far as um, oh yeah, sorry, I, I mean yeah, definitely like, yeah, the wealth gap. Oh wealth, yeah. oh yeah. oh yeah, oh absolutely yeah. No. Well, no, 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 I don't want like your 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 answer was right. It was good, yeah, good. and it was and oh. it actually is about pay inequality. Um, 
you know, there's multi, there's this facets of it, pay inequality. Um, well, so, and, yeah. and, and one thing I wanted to bring up as well, so there's, I've been having some conversations with local business owners around the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, like, there's coffee shops in our area that currently pay people around $9 an hour. Mm-hmm. And so what's tricky with that is that, you know, the federal minimum wage is being projected at $15 an hour. So if that is passed, like, I don't want our local businesses to be hurt. But the same way, I also want to advocate for our people. Mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be a way for, especially like larger companies, mm-hmm. to be able to pay people fairly. And what I've noticed is, so there's a factory thing up in Cleveland or, or north of us, and they increased the minimum wage thing like $17 an hour, but productivity increased. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like a one thing that business owners get worried about is they see their current bottom line, they see what their current financials are, and they're worried like, well, if I increase the minimum wage, then like my profit margins are going to be shrinking. But I also think that not be able to currently calculate their employees will be more motivated, and I think will, the productivity will increase. So mm-hmm. I think that there needs to be a way to pay people more. And, and also, so the, and then I've been looking at other studies too. So there's a, um, a company that paid their employees a minimum salary of $75,000 and notice that like if you increase the salary like $75,000 was like the right amount where people were happy and super productive Mm -hmm. so I think we can find a way to make sure everyone has a quality of life that Mm -hmm. can provide for their families and have like one really great job because I think that if you're having to juggle with multiple jobs to be able to pay your rent like that's not going back to like securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity like right. the constitution like that's not securing the blessings of liberty to your family you know, you know what I mean it's like when you're having to like spend all your time paying to get by you know yeah. I don't think that's what the promise of America is yeah um yeah completely um and I guess final thought is I wonder if you know all these employers small businesses and big businesses didn't have to pay for all of these um benefits i wonder if they'd have more money to to pay for their people exactly right yeah well and that's another thing you bring up christian is i'm not going to get too far in it but like these smaller businesses if they wanted to could actually like if they're in the same like similar industry mm-hmm. they could co-mingle together and sort of like come together as a trust and then go to a place to like acquire benefits for mm-hmm. their like employees and things that's so I think if small businesses maybe started doing that with one another, it would also help with the pay as far as like the pay inequality because well, also going back to the whole idea around freedom. So mm-hmm. like if the government already provided those things, right, then the businesses wouldn't have to worry about it. They could worry about okay, well, how can I just make sure that this is a great place for people to work, right? Mm-hmm. And so like yeah, if, if we already have it, so we don't have to be so held down by it. I'm not getting benefits working at this coffee shop, but mm-hmm. I, like it's a great environment. So like the government's allowed me to have healthcare so I don't have to yeah right know, I think that yeah I wish it was that way and it can be with a vote for Baxter next November <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. exactly but like at this current situation <laughs> if they wanted to they could just meet up and go like do a trust or mm-hmm. association but I don't know if not a lot of small business owners know that up front so right right you yeah. know that's something to you know talk to an actual professional about yeah okay speaking to Dakota who's that Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Just got there. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> we got an insight, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't hear any of that information, by the way. I, li- I actually like my license. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how do you feel about global warming, and what can you do about it as a congressperson? 
oh, I, I feel it's a <laughs> imminent threat or I think it's like happening rapidly and I think it's something that needs to be responded to quickly. What's challenging for me is traveling to the coast, traveling in our country in general, I can see that things are changing. But living in the Miami Valley, talking about climate change, people are like, oh my gosh, well, the climate changes every five minutes here. Like, you know, the joke in Ohio is like, yeah. you know, you can experience all four seasons in one day. Mm -hmm. So for someone to be like, oh my gosh, well, of course the climate's changing. Like, I had to put on a sweater this morning and now it's like super hot in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, girl, like, you know, we get it. Like, <laughs> and it's like, and I'm, right. but like, just because one thing I'm really trying to showcase in my campaign is the idea around empathy and it's like even though we might you know our climate is I mean it's changing here as well yeah. but like I mean we can see that in metro parks and different places but I also think that like for example right now like I was just in New York City working on a film on a television show and so I left and then the next day the remnants of Hurricane Ida came through and so the neighborhood that I was staying in is now flooding People are going to say, well, of course, like with hurricanes, water is going to come in and recede, but not at the level that it's yeah. happening at. So I think there's so much evidence that from the Industrial Revolution, we've just pumped so much CO2. Like, I think the evidence is undeniable. And I'm excited because there's a lot of adoption around solar and like electric and like it, solar power is so incredible. Like we literally could power the world if we just moved to solar. <laughs> but what's, it, again, being an entrepreneur myself, I recognize and I appreciate business, but also with business, people want to be able to control things because if we had solar energy, we would have enough to power the grid. It also would lower costs. What's tr like tricky with that is the cost could get so low that it wouldn't like be like beneficial for companies anymore. Or just we like, we live in a world of abundance. I think we forget that. Like mm -hmm. we have an abundance of resources. We just have to have the will and want to actually do it. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe in solar, and like I'm excited that there's been a push towards electronic vehicles. And I want Ohio to like be a manufacturer. You know, we are amazing at building things. Like we were the manufacturing hub of the industrial revolution. Like the third industrial revolution was our around oil and I think the fourth industrial revolution is around data and information in, in technology and so I think we need to be more adoptive of that and making sure that these new jobs can be done here but yeah I, th I think global warming is okay. and, oh, and so it's basically the end and into the question like all of these incentives so like creating laws to help companies be able to adopt these new environmentally friendly technologies mm -hmm. I think is, is all policy that can be created through Congress. So. Okay. The next question, I hope you know what we're talking about. Um, are you familiar with Garden Station? Oh, um, yeah, down the street. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. So our question is, um, it says how do you feel about Garden Station and what can you do about it? But I think what I think for you as being like a, a federal congressperson or running for federal congress, um, along the lines of you have these local like areas that you go to such as Garden Station or what's the dog park that they're uh, closing? Deeds Park. Yeah, Deeds Park. Which actually I was going to, sorry, I was actually going to say we should probably change that to Deeds Park because this, so yeah. Deeds Park is kind of becoming Garden Station 2.0. I mean the whole situation for me, but also it's, it's current okay. and happening here. Um, but yeah, so you do you know about what happened with Garden Station? Yeah, well, so I, I, I used to like volunteer there. Like we would like, like growing up, I would go there like as in high school. And, yeah, exactly. And, and it was really sad. So as a member of Congress, like the main issue in Congress is the economy. As a member of Congress, it's my job to best advocate for the Miami Valley. I am speaking on behalf of us as a region saying, 
we are an incredible place to live, work, and create a life. So of course I want to attract businesses, but I want to make sure that, that the businesses also are understanding and adopting the values and helping the culture of our area. So that's why I have a big beef with Garden Station because a business came in and bought up a building next to Garden Station and then they think they know best as to how to develop that area. And I have a problem with that because there is some really great community activity happening there. And then all of a sudden an outside business, not from Ohio, came in and I think outside businesses are great, but mm -hmm. I think that's what you know happens with gentrification is that when a business comes in, they think that they know what's best for the community without actually talking and listening to the people who are already there. Mm -hmm. That's I think a big pillar of gentrification. So, yes. and, and as we're growing and downtown's changing, which is I'm super excited about, but I think we need to make sure it's changing in a way that the people of our area also subscribe to. So when I came back after being in California, I was like, where's Garden Station? Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, like, I was like, what? Like, I thought that was so crazy to me, like, because it's such a beautiful place. That's, to me, is an, an idea of what community should look like, is uh, having a shared third space, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and for private companies to come in and say that they don't, yeah, that really made me sad. And yeah. I think that, they, then I also don't think that that company knows really the values of Dayton. And, and so I think that's harmful. Okay. Yeah. So first time we've ever had somebody that was like a volunteer garden station before. So yeah. So I knew exactly what we were talking about. Oh yeah. So I, I used to work for um, the YMCA of Greater Dayton. Okay. And so we had a summer program. I was a teen, I was a camp counselor. So there's a program <laughs> called Teens in Action. So we would take um, the teens there and like we would help um, with cutting the grass or like you know watering the flower or just like you know we would volunteer there so right um, and then you know it was devastating for me to come back and see that it wasn't there anymore because I mm -hmm. loved that it was a beautiful space so yeah and you know something similar is going on for Deeds Park you know oh yeah so too, I encourage so. you to look into that and yeah and to start speaking well at this point it's sort of um <laughs> I'm saying it's Garden Station 2.0 because it's um the decision has been made and is and is is being executed but it's like a lot of the community found out about it after the decision after, was yeah. made and besides that it's it's very um the parallels i see are that it's an active downtown green space a third space like you were talking about that's actively in use that people actively come down to use yeah. um and then an outside entity wants to come in and develop the land and use it for something and then like that's cool but was the community involved with these discussions beforehand mm -hmm. did, did the community input have anything to do with with the decision to sell this land yeah um yeah. but besides that because of the decision that was made the community is now going to be moved to a lesser amount of space and the space is going to be moved on top of that and so it's really sort of like yeah this great economic development or educational development or development blah 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 but it's like development at the cost of something that's already running and going and serving mm -hmm. the community yeah and let alone because the community was not well, and able so, to put I, input into the decision. I know this might go off, to off topic a little bit, or, but that's one of the main reasons why I'm running, mm -hmm. is that I think that there are special interests. And so it's like, who are our government officials? Who are our public servants working for? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that the idea of a public servant is to serve in the public's best interest. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing this right now, actually, because as a candidate, you have to raise funds to be able to get into office, right? Mm -hmm. So when you raise funds, you have to get them from different places. And, and a lot of times those funds will come from businesses or special interests. And so we all know when you get paid by somebody, there's an expectation. 
And so, like, if, if you're getting money from a corporation or from a, a certain interest group, their interests are going to want to be sought out. Mm -hmm. So that's why, for me, I've only been receiving small dollar donations from individuals. I'm not receiving any money from corporations or special interest groups. Because of that main reason, I don't want to get into office and then have phone calls from people saying, well, we gave you this check with the expectation of this. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want that to happen. I think that's happening in, in these situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about police reform and criminal justice reform, and what can you do about it as a congressperson? Um, and then there are follow-up questions we'll ask later on. The history of policing is long in our country, and I also believe that it has, once again, okay, so, <laughs> so for me to answer this question, I have to decide between, okay, am I going to be an activist or do I want to be a legislator? Mm -hmm. Because I am an activist, and I believe that the history of policing really stems from like slavery mm -hmm. but i also have like my uncle was a cop and a detective so i recognize the importance of law and order in a community but once again i'm like who are police officers serving who are they protecting what interests are they protecting if that makes sense and what is the role of a police officer because I think that there should be a difference between militarized people. You know, we have a military, mm -hmm. but then the goal of a police officer is to serve and protect their community. So um, one thing that the city of Dayton did do, which I thought was curious for a while, is that you had to live in the community that you serve. And I think that's important because if you're patrolling an area that you live in, you know the people. You know mm -hmm. that the children on that block, they live in this house and like they know the school. But like if you're a police officer and you don't live in that area, you don't have any vested interest in their best interest because you're doing a job and you're leading. So for me, I think in terms of reform, there's a lot of ways we can ensure that police officers are, you know, representing the best interests of that area. And I think also can be reflective in the demographics, like make sure that the police office is reflective of that community. Mm -hmm. And so as a member of Congress, we have a huge ability to have a big impact in that because we can create laws to help establish what that reimagination of a police force would look like. But once again, there's a lot of interest in, in this and in that Historically, the police unions are very influential in how their policy is crafted. So for example, like a lot of community relations councils end up being mouthpieces for the police office. So they aren't really interested in hearing what the community has to say. It's more like, here's what we're saying and we want you to hear it versus being, it's more of like a monologue and not a dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also what's happening with our current member of Congress is that he ha has a monologue and he's not dialoguing with us. So he's telling us what he thinks is our best interest and not listening to us. And I think that happens currently with a lot of police offices and police departments is that it's a monologue like here, we know what's best for you and you know, we're doing our job versus it being a dialogue. Mm -hmm. and, I've been speaking with members of the Dayton Police Force, and I've been really encouraged by the conversations I'm having, but um, I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and Congress can be, I think we should be visionaries in like helping to showcase and show people what that looks like, because I think everyone is scared when you talk about police reform, but I, I think too, like right now, police officers carry guns. You should have to have as much schooling as someone who gets a college degree, in my opinion, if you're gonna be like protecting and saving people's lives. Yeah. And, and like right now, like the whole um, police academy process, I think is really outdated or just like not serving anyone in a great way. So as a member of Congress, one of the first things I wanna look at is helping rebuild and reform the police academy process and what the qualifications would be to become a police officer. Because I think, you know, it's an awesome profession when done correctly, I think. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, it's a really great way to serve 
But once again, you need to be of service. You know, this isn't a video game. You know, this isn't like, <laughs> like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't your chance to like be like a superhero. Like, right. like I think I just want to stress so much that these are public servants. They serve in our best interest. They aren't like public bullies. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Should it be possible to try minors as adults? And should the death penalty exist in Ohio? Or at all? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think so. A lot of it for me goes back to. I think mm-hmm. the, when the framers wrote the Constitution, I think they actually did an incredible job creating a document that was aspirational. Mm-hmm. And so I think the death penalty goes back to that aspiration. You know, it's like promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. So it's like, how is the death penalty helping to preserve someone's posterity? You know, I just mm-hmm. like, if you really care about the dignity of people, for me, it's like, I subscribe to being pro-life, but I also subscribe to being pro-freedom, pro-choice. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like if you really want to help, you know, because for me, it's like pro-life means I want to help someone's whole life. Like, no, I'm not pro-birth. I think that before you get to like a death penalty situation, it's like, well, have we helped that person's mental health? What was their childhood like? You know, I just think like Frederick Douglass was really brilliant when he was like, you know, if you train up a child in a certain way, that they're going to go off and have a life. So it's like we can prevent a lot of issues around criminal justice if we were to focus on the first five years of someone's life. Mm-hmm. For me, criminal justice also goes back to education. So like if, if I can help educate a child and make sure that one, their parents are together, like they have a strong family, that they have the ability to have the quality of care as like, because I think the first couple years of someone's life is huge, kind of like a crystal ball in a way, like tell their future. You can see a lot of people who end up going to lives of criminality stem from broken families or childhoods. So that's why for me, I'm super passionate about strong families and strong kids, because I think that solves a lot of issues later on in life. For me, being a person of faith and a Christian, like, I don't think we should play God. We mm-hmm. shouldn't, like, ending someone's life isn't what we're called to do. Right. Um, and minors as tried as adults? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, once again, there's consequences to every action. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a reason why we have an adult court and a, and a minors court is because, like, until you're 25, your brain isn't fully put together. So mm-hmm. I think that like we need to extend some grace to our young people. But once again, it goes back to education. Mm-hmm. It's like if, if a young person is like going to a life of criminality, it's just like, well, I want to find out why and I want to find out how can we fix that because mm-hmm. I want to set them up for success. And I think right now, a lot of conservative leadership has voted to help create this school to prison pipeline that's led to a lot of these issues and so if we can have a stronger education system like stivers for example schools that focus on steam science mm-hmm. tech engineering arts and math then i think that they're going to be set up for the future but i think a lot of times when people don't see a future for themselves they end up wanting to go into harmful destructive choices so i think that's the job of a member of congress is to help show through laws and advocating for programs and services to young people that we not only see a future for you but we know that we want you to excel to your highest level and be able to achieve your goal and so i don't want to go to off topic again either but to me leadership is about vision because when someone's leading you it's like where are they leading you to that's why i have a really hard time with our current member of congress mike turner because he has no vision i don't really know where he's taking us i don't know like what's the end goal like that's why if my campaign i want to remind everyone we need to return to who we are because as a region we were the builders we were the dreamers we were the silicon valley of the early 1900s we have some of the most patents of any area we invented and created things and the reason why we did that was because we had the people a leader should remind everyone like this is where we're going and like this is where i want us to go and i think every member who's a public servant has the ability to remind people of 
where we're headed. And so I want to be able to do that as well as showing through like the laws that I'm writing, but also like through the work that I'm doing on the ground in the community, be able to like showcase how we're getting closer and closer to that goal. All right, so our next question is, how do you feel about voter suppression, voter roll dumping, and gerrymandering? <laughs> and what can you do about that? Well, what I can do is I can get elected and help pass the John Lewis uh, Voter Running Rights Act. And I hope it'll already be passed by the time I'm elected, but if not, I'll be a co-sponsor. I'll make sure that that's... I just think that that is like such a disgusting, gross perversion of America because like the whole role, like why we were created as a country was to have freedoms and the ability to choose. Mm -hmm. And the heart of that is voting. So if there's a party actively suppressing a vote, that clearly means that there's a lot of people who don't subscribe to their values anymore. And so they're wanting to make it harder and harder for people to vote because Mm -hmm. they know that their ideology is no longer popular. And like, I think the Republican party has no moral compass or as any sort of morality by doing that because that's the whole heart of America is voting. So if, if you're a party of suppressing votes, I think that's also you're un-American. Don't tell me that you're the party of patriots but you're also the party of voter suppression. Honestly, I've worked as a poll worker. I've worked um, with the Board of Elections. I was a part of the nonprofit called Kids Voting and the whole mission of Kids Voting was to help young people to vote. And so this whole idea around there's all these theories around incorrect voting, I just think is it's not true. I've talked to a lot of people who work in Board of Elections and just the amount of hands that are on one ballot to get processed is astounding. And so all the people who are saying that there's like voter fraud, I just <laughs> would like really, 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 I want to take them on a tour of like, what, like, and be like, actually here's where your vote is going and like it's really protected. Like I worked as a poll worker for like several elections here in, my, in Montgomery County. So but once again, I think there's two emotions. There's fear and there's love. Mm-hmm. And so when you can push people to become fearful of, of voting versus loving the act of voting, because mm-hmm. fear is a really powerful emotion. Yeah. So you can get someone afraid of, oh my gosh, my vote's not going to count, or oh this, oh that. Like You can get them mad enough to vote on your side. And I think mm-hmm. Republicans do a really great job of getting people fearful about things. And so I just think if you really love America, you should love voting. So Okay. Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about voter roll dumping and gerrymandering, just to finish up on that question? I mean, I think that's dangerous. Yeah, so I, I don't <laughs> I agree to that. But I also think that the public should be more civically engaged. I think that there should be a responsibility to make sure that your address is up to date. But I mean, I, I think voting should be accessible to everyone. So there should be no excuse as to why someone can't vote. Like if you're in America, you should be able to vote. But I also think that I really believe in the worst threat to America is apathy. And so when you're apathetic and you're like, well, I don't care, like, I'm not going to vote this time, or oh, like, I think voting should be a national holiday. You know, I think that, like, voting should be, like, the most important thing we look forward to as Americans. Like, the most powerful thing each of us have is our vote. So you should, like, be up to date on where your precinct is. And, like, if not, go to my website. You can, like, you know, we'll have the information available. But yeah, I think that everyone should have the ability to, to vote. But I also think each of us should be responsible to like keep that information up to date. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and gerrymandering. How do you feel on that? Well, I mean, I, I feel it's un-American because, once again, like gerrymandering is the ability to preserve power. So it, it's, all, it all, it's all really about power. And so I think one of the beauties of America is competition. We are a free market society. And so I think you know, when you're competitive, you want to bring out the best products and services. I think that breeds innovation is you know, when you're competitive. So gerrymandering is the most uncompetitive situation because it's actively drawing a district so one party is always going to have the advantage. 
And so how is that bringing out the best ideas when one party is always going to be in favor? So I think mm -hmm. a fair district is more American because it breeds better competition. When it's more competitive, you're going to have a greater fight as to which ideas win. And so I think gerrymandering is un-American because you're not pushing for the best ideas. You're only allowing one party to stay in power. Whether it's one party or the other, I think it's harmful. Okay, Daytonians, we're going to take a little break now. Enjoy this quick tune from a section of My Vote Don't Count by Yellow Pain. Obama, when it was the Congress members all along, we got to focus on the legislative branch. Yeah, they the ones that make the laws. Yeah, they the ones right how much food stamp money you get on the car. But when people that wanted to help us, wanted the job, I know they probably lost. Because we ain't even know their name, we ain't know their face, we ain't know it all. So the Congress or the State House, that's legislative, they make laws. So what we want from the president is what they do. Okay, y'all? See, they election every two years, but we don't never even go to those. The Congress, they can raise minimum wage, but we ain't even really know it, though. So you know how back in 08, when we all voted for Obama, we was all supposed to go back in 2010 and vote for the Congress. Because they the ones make child support laws. They the ones choose if your kids at school get to eat steak or corn dogs. The State House make the court calls. So if the country failed, then you can't say it's them. It's your fault, cause y'all ain't know to vote for Congress members that was for y'all. And they don't gotta leave after four years, and we just let them sit. See, they don't wanna tell you this, they want you to focus on the president. Now the third And thanks for listening to that quick little segment, listeners. We're gonna get right back to our interview with Baxter Stapleton. Okay, so, how do you feel about public transportation, and what can you do about it as a congressman? For me, once again, I want to go back to the Constitution. Uh, I think establishing justice. So a whole idea around justice is that society is built fairly for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I think transportation is a big issue around equity and justice because if people can't move freely in a society, I think that is harmful. So it's great to have like private sector involvement with Uber and Lyft, but like the challenge with all the scooters that are around, which is great, but like. When a private company is in charge of like price inflation or whatever, like I think that that isn't really establishing justice. So that's why I'm super excited and want to help push forward the high-speed rail in Ohio. Because I think if we were to have that and connecting all the three C's, like Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, and having a hub here in Dayton would be a huge advantage for us. And, and so like high-speed rail is important. There's been a lot of modernization around Miss Rita, or you know, the RTA. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, you know, we love Miss Rita, but um, I think expanding ability to, like, have low rates for people. Someone should not be worried about not having transportation so they can get to their job or to their work or to school. So mm -hmm. I think in all of the major urban areas, the ones that are successful, mm -hmm. have really accessible and quality transportation. So I don't want that to be holding us back. And I think that's something that, that as a member of Congress, we can help push forward. And which is why passage of the infrastructure bill that happened recently is like, mm -hmm super exciting is because a lot of those priorities are in that bill and so I want to make sure that the funds that were passed come back to the Miami Valley. Yeah. How should police interaction with demonstrators or protesters go? Should police be able to block roadways to stop protesters or should they interfere in any way? Well I, I mean so what, it kind of goes back again to okay who are the police serving? Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, if the people have the ability to assemble, you know, that's one of our rights. So the role of a police should make sure that everyone is safe. Because I think that police should be peacekeepers. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if they're keeping the peace, this is just my perspective, but participating in a lot of marches and, you know, I'm an activist, so doing a lot of events and things. So usually, whenever the police arrive, 
it ends up escalating versus de-escalating. So I think that the role of uh, the police should be keeping the peace. If they're blocking or actively instigating the people, I think that that's not their job. Or, you know, that they're operating out of their intention of what the role is. Majority of people who are protesting or I think just want to be heard. Because I think the, the job of a protest is like, there's something that's not being heard, and so we want to activate and amplify to get that attention. And I think there's a difference between a riot and a protest. So, you know, you know like a protest isn't actively seeking to like destroy property. But then, you know, I think that then there's people who are more criminally minded who are trying to do things, and that's not in the realm of a protest. And so I think that the police have the ability to then step in when someone's destroying property. But if that's not happening, then they should be keeping the peace. That's okay. Should Dayton be a sanctuary city? Absolutely. I mean, I think the idea around a sanctuary is that, like, you know, being me being like a person of faith, mm-hmm. is that like, help me be a sanctuary like help me be like i want to be a person of peace i want to be a person of i think that we should be a community that reflects love and hope and aspiration Mm -hmm. so being a sanctuary city i think allows us to say we want to see your dreams come true i think having a space where people feel safe and have the ability to be themselves Mm -hmm. in any capacity i think is the most american Thing. And I think that's what the promise of America is, being a beacon or a light. And so, like, we are, I want Dayton, I want the Miami Valley to be a, a place of light and a, a place that people can say, I know I can be safe here. What steps does Dayton, as well as Ohio and the <laughs> whole United States, need to do its part in rectifying racial injustice? And what can you do about that when you're um, well, so this could be a whole episode as well. So <laughs> I, I, I would love to come back and we could talk about all this, but this is an area that's like really important to me mm-hmm. uh, because once again, my slogan in why I'm running is multiply, not divide. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've lived in a divided America for a long time where whether it's uh, redlining or whether it's access to um, education or like, you know, once again, the school to prison pipeline, I think there's been a whole list of ways that we've made it easier for white people to thrive in America. And I do believe in white privilege. I, I know what that looks like because being a white person myself, like I, uh, one thing I want to stress a lot is that I don't want people to see my campaign as another white man running for Congress because even though like I am a white man, I, I, I do like uh, my policies and my positions are very much in alignment with, you know, helping people uh, of color helping my you know minorities and one thing I know about Congress is that Congress is about getting things done and so you have to build relationships with people and what I've noticed is that I've been able to use my whiteness to be able to help push forward issues around justice that I think maybe like been different in other situations if that makes sense like I want to be really like frank about it but I think a lot of times racial inequality is actually a white people's issue it's not a black white issue it's like it's like the white people are the ones who made the problem and the white people are the ones that need to fix it because I just get really sad because like going to rallies and protests and like, you know, I'm a member of the NAACP. So it's like, you know, why is NAACP all just people of color? You know what I mean? And I, you can't get things done if it's only the same people. It's like an echo chamber. And so like if, if only the same people are talking, uh, you know, I'm also a member of the um, young black professionals organization here in Dayton it's like I want to amplify young 
black owners and black businesses and entrepreneurs. And so there's so many issues around racial inequality that I think mm-hmm. need to be addressed. And Congress should be the ones leading that effort. So for example, like the racial wealth gap is huge. So I want to help, you know, support. I really believe that when you're an entrepreneur and an owner, you can change the destiny of your life as well as the life of your family. So I want to help increase black ownership, black businesses, because when you own something that changes the community. And I think what's challenging for that is that then then let's go into home ownership. Because when you want to start a business, you have to find capital or you need to find funding. So what's harder for people of color in terms of getting funding or access to money is that a lot of times white people can use their home as like a way to leverage. So like, for example, my dad opened up a business when I was in middle school. And when he did that, we got a second mortgage on our house. But if you're a renter and you don't own any property, you don't even have that option. And then also like for, you know, my friends of color, it's like if their home isn't worth that much, then they're not gonna be able to get as much money from the bank. And also a bank isn't gonna wanna invest in a, in a risky, like rarely ever does a bank invest in a new business. They wanna see like a history of financials. So, and then also in our area, we don't have that many venture funds or investors who are actively putting money into new businesses. And I thought it was awesome. Recently, the Young Black Professionals had a pitch competition and mm-hmm. like, and I think that's super great because like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it'd be like, you know, uh, we can help fund new ideas. And that's kind of why I want to get back to who we are because we are the inventors and the builders and the dreamers. But if the inventors, builders, and dreamers don't have access to be able to fund their projects, they're going to go somewhere else to do that. Right. I have a friend who's from Dayton, but is now living in New York City. He started a company because he's gotten funding there. And so it's like, if only we had those resources here, especially if identifying and amplifying businesses owned by people of color, like that would radically change our area. I mean, every area that Congress has influence over can help bridge the gap of r- racial reconciliation and equality in all those areas. So okay. yeah, I, I think that's like a huge, and for me, like, sorry, I want to go back to this because I'm really, really like passionate about this because mm-hmm. I don't want to be seen as another white man running for office <laughs> because it's just like, oh my God, another, like, there's this book, um, this woman wrote recently called White Mediocrity, basically saying, why is it that people of color have to be so much, have to bring excellence and then like white men can be just mediocre and get, like, you know, I, I, <laughs> and I, I agree with that. And so like, um, even like, for example, like President Obama, like, he exemplified excellence, and then you had Donald Trump come in, and it's like he is nowhere near, like, in terms of just like statesmanship, and just like, I think we have such a lower level for white people than we expect, like, our brothers and sisters of color to operate in excellence, if that makes sense. And so, I, no, you're, you're, you're correct on that. Coming from that demographic of like, li- like growing up in a very rural area, that is what majority of those types of white people think. Mm-hmm. So well, and so, and I want to address this too because so within the district that I'm running in, it's majority white, and so I want to mm-hmm. sort of share with my white brothers and sisters that like the world is changing, and that it's becoming browner and it's becoming queer and it's becoming more fabulous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of fear in that because with change, it's it's like where do I fit into all this? And so I think that. I want to let my white friends know that the world is changing, but when you progress, you're leading to something better. And I think when you fight something, that's where stress comes from. And so I think, okay, well, well, are you leading with fear? Are you afraid of this? Are you leading into love? And do you know that like 
when you build relationships, that's where you know the beauty happens. So I want to be a bridge builder and help relationships build. Like I want farmers to like meet people who live in you know more urban Dayton because we have a lot more in common you know that we're different. And so I think the challenge is a lot of my white friends don't have any friends of color. It's hard to hate up close. So that's also why I love storytelling and filmmaking is because when you know someone's story, you can get closer to their heart. And so like I want to help tell those stories more because I think that like my rural friends just aren't exposed to a lot of people and issues so they don't have really any reference and, and so wanting them to know that the world is changing but not changing against you know i think a lot of people who like are white supremacists or whatever like believe that the world's changing and it's hurting them and so they're comfortable with where things are now mm-hmm. and so they're afraid of where things are going but actually like it's becoming more and more like what the promise of America was founded upon. That as we reach more of this more perfect union, it's going to be more perfect because it's more colorful. So I think we need to recognize that that's what makes America incredible is that all of us have the ability, not just this one group. Okay. How do you feel about livable wage and what can you do about it as a congressman? I think a livable wage is essential to the future of where we're headed because I think that the promise of America is once again providing for the general welfare and for also around justice and also domestic tranquility. I think when people are able to afford and have a a quality of life, there's peace because I think there's unrest when people don't have ability to provide their basic needs. When you're in survival mode, you make a lot of harmful choices, I think, a lot of times. And so when you're not in survival mode anymore, you're able to have this this exhale, this peace, and be like, okay, I can dream and think. But when you're in survival mode, we don't get the best out of people when they aren't in a state of wellness, in a state of healthy well-being. So I think having one job and the ability to provide for your family is like really important. And Congress is really the, one of the main ways to establish that because we have the ability to legislate and motivate businesses to do that. But I think businesses should do that on their own because I, I don't think that Congress has the ability to appropriate the budget. And so I think we can do that in such a way that is in people's best interest and not the interest of corporations. Because if corporations were paying their fair share, we could do so much more than what we're doing right now to help make sure people can have a living wage. All right, so how do you feel about paid parental leave? Paid parental leave is important because the first five years of anyone's life is setting them up for success. So if we have both parents are having to work to be able to provide for their family's needs, I think that's harmful to the child and will end up costing us as a community more in the long run. Because if we can invest in the life of a young person while they're born and as they're developing, they're going to be much more successful and all the other costs like you know jail is really expensive and so like it's actually really expensive so um, so like the more we can have young people stay out of detention centers while having parents stay at home they can start establishing healthy eating habits so then we don't have children with diabetes or other issues you know and all these like preventable diseases i think all that starts from birth and i want to really challenge my conservative friends because if you're pro-life and you're against a family leave I think that's so harmful because it's like, well, once the baby is born, who's taking care of it? Like right now, if someone works a minimum wage job, they're making hopefully at least $15 an hour, but then they have to leave because they have to work to be able to pay for their family. And so if they have to hire a babysitter, the babysitter is going to be making probably similar and same amount that they're paying. Mm -hmm. So that person is not even breaking even, you know, they're like having to pay for uh, childcare while they have to work. And I just think that that is stressful. And so like, 
the job of a member of Congress is to help advocate for the best interests of their people. And so I think there's a lot of people in our community who would be able to thrive if they knew that they could have a time off and also have free childcare. Mm. How do you feel about drug reform and what can you do about it as a congressperson? I feel really strongly about drug reform because I think if marijuana stores look like Apple stores, we need to like allow people <laughs> to like, uh, like if you're currently in jail for issues around marijuana, but there's businesses that are profiting from it now, like mm-hmm. that's a really problematic thing. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well, like when I'm going and seeing stores pop up that resemble like Apple stores, I'm like, this is crazy to me. And also like there's been a lot of success around the legalization of marijuana. And so I think that's something that I would wish for as a member of Congress is to help pass that federally because it's passing the other states. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's time and I think that we could use that money to be able to mm-hmm. all, all of the issues that we've talked about, like paid family leave and like childcare, I think can be funded by yeah. programs like legalizing marijuana. And, and so I think that it's not fair for especially people of color who are in jail for these drug offenses to then be at a disadvantage when there's like white people who are now benefiting from like legally. Like when John Boehner Here's is- Here's my weed store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like John Boehner was the speaker of the house. Now he's getting paid millions of dollars to lobby in the interest of marijuana. So I'm just like, that is so crazy to me that he's now benefiting from laws that he pushed to like harm people with. So I think that we need a lot of reform around this is something I want to get into. I'd love to talk, come back to a different episode. Yeah. The opioid epidemic, Mike Turner, our current member of Congress, helped fund, like, there was bills that he voted on that created the opioid crisis. So this idea that this crisis just happened out of nowhere is false. Like, yeah. it was actively voted on by our members of Congress. And that like, people like the Sackler family, who are now granted immunity, even though they help get profit off of the creation of these drugs, is horrible. Once again, it goes back to the special interests. And so big pharma, like the pharmaceutical companies, I think is like one of the largest gangs. Like I think they're a mob, like, you know, just like, because in the way that they profit off of harming people. And so going back to the constitution, like that's not helping anyone's general welfare by creating these really addictive drugs. So I I think that drug reform is essential. Okay, awesome. And that, I I love your answer because it actually plowed right through my (laughs) follow-ups. Do you support marijuana legalization? So you you clearly said you do. Um, Actually, can I clarify, um, what level of legalization do you envision when you say that you want to um, legalize it? It's always, it comes down to the question, are we talking medical, or are we talking recreational, or, you know, what are we talking about as far as legal, legalizing marijuana? Well, so, so marijuana is a plant, and I think this is just my, being a person of faith, mm-hmm. I believe that God created everything to be mm-hmm. good. If you're a person of, like, faith, you know, like, there's the Genesis 1 story, which is, like, God created the world and it was good, mm-hmm. and then Genesis 3 was when he ate the apple and, like, mm-hmm. there was no sin. So it's, like, we are... I think we're sinful people, and so we, we need a savior to then help us. If you believe like a bigger power, whether that's mm-hmm. God or you know something like the Earth, Mother Earth, or whatever, like, mm-hmm. but I think that there's a bigger being that's a source that's leading us to a better life. So I think that anything that comes from the ground is good. So with marijuana being a plant, I think <laughs> it's there to help us. Mm-hmm. And so people who subscribe to the fact that oh, if you smoke marijuana, it's going to lead to so many awful things. 
And we've seen a lot of examples now, like the research from other states like Colorado where people were, it's been legalized. Driving has actually gotten better. Like marijuana is actually different than alcohol. You have to recognize what the cause and effects are. So like, even if you're a recreational user, I think that like any substance can be abused, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, whether it's recreational or medical or whatever, like if I go home and eat 10 boxes of Oreos, I'm gonna get sick, right? I've abused the consumption of sugar. Right. You know, and so that comes from the ground. And so I think if you do it in a moderate way, you can enjoy it. Same with grapes. You know, if I drink a lot of wine, like I'm gonna get drunk. And then like, you know, but like grapes come from the ground. And like, like if you drink wine in moderation, it's actually good for your heart. This is my personal preference, you know, and, and it's something I would advocate for as a member of Congress is that people should have the ability to have access to marijuana and not be penalized for it because there's been a lot of research that shows that it does help people and when you don't abuse something, then, you know, you're good, yeah. So what about drug-related criminal records? You said, you pointed out that it's not fair that, um, you know... Yeah, I think anyone, people... anyone in jail currently that has, like, a marijuana offense should be, like... And the record expunged. Yeah, expunged. Yeah, yeah I'm going to turn the right term in, like legal terminology. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that they should be granted like, you know, amnesty or, or just like charges should go away. Mm -hmm. And the last part is where does aid for drug addiction fit into these views? The aid for drug addiction, I think a, a member of Congress, like right now, we have the ability to create laws around mental health. And, mm -hmm. and, and so I think like, this is something that I'm like working through because mm -hmm. as a district, we are more conservative, but I want to help people with our values is that like a lot of problems, we ended up like medicating them or like, I think if, if you're going to drugs, like it's because of other problems. Mm -hmm. And so if we can solve those other problems first, then hopefully it won't lead to those other choices. So like as a member of Congress, we have the ability to advocate for those issues. But also I think that that can be done at a more local level. I mentioned before a lot of the conservative friends, they think that like a large government is bad. I think that there are tenets to that, which I understand that, you know, if the government becomes too big. So what my role as a member of Congress would be was to help really push for all the local organizations, the nonprofits, the hospitals, to make sure that we're doing the very best we can and so the resources are used in the most beneficial way because I think all there's money available now here locally with CareSource and with the hospitals and with Have a Gay Day, like all these nonprofits that are doing really great work to be able to help that way the federal government doesn't really need to step in. So before we break off and go into our final segment, we have um, one more question and that is, are you registered to vote and are you sure? Uh, yes, I'm registered to vote and the reason why I'm sure is I got a a new license recently, so oh, uh, okay. I, was able to, I was able to update my address. <laughs> nice. Okay, nice. Um, so, of course, if you are not sure, or if you do not know if you're registered, you can easily go to voterlookup.ohiosos.gov slash voterlookup. And that's SOS as in Secretary of State. So again, voterlookup.ohiosos.gov slash voterlookup. So that's so that you can be sure um, if you're registered. And if it turns out that you're not registered, you can go to ohiosos.gov slash elections slash voters slash register so that you can register. And we do this because in Ohio, we do participate in voter road dumping and you need to make sure that you are registered and ready to vote for this next election. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right, so we're gonna go sure. into another quick break. And then we will be back for our favorite part of these interviews.
mm-hmm. um, as well as some follow-up questions. So please enjoy another quick clip of My Vote Don't Count by Yellow Pain, and we'll be back with you shortly. Every time you stay home, someone is making a decision about you, making decisions about the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food your kids eat, and how much money you bring home every two weeks. So every time you sit out an election, every time you don't show up, because you think it doesn't matter, someone else is happy that you didn't show up so they can make that decision for you. Vote. All right, listeners, we hope you enjoyed that segment from Yellow Pain's My Vote Don't Count. So with that, we're going to jump back into our interview with Baxter Stapleton, and we are going to go to our favorite segment, Word Association. (laughs) Yes, everybody has fun in this game. So Baxter, are you ready to play the Word Association game? I'm so ready, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, our first word in the association game is mental health. Essential. ALC. My new friend. <laughs> I was gonna say, if you if, if you get on the other side, I'm I'm gonna need that hookup. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell him to come here? <laughs> a phone call, a letter, anything. 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 We, we will like be like, we're not worthy. <laughs> but I want to create a quick so. Okay, if you can include this, mm-hmm. one thing that Mike Turner's done in the past, my opponent, mm-hmm. is use podcasts from other his opponents and will chop them up and mm. say in such ah. a way. For example, there's a podcast that Teresa Gatsper did, um, who ran against him in 2018, mm-hmm. and she said something that he ended up using in a commercial. Mm-hmm. So my by my word associations, I want to make sure that people who listen can hear my whole response mm-hmm. because like I don't want him to come and use a Dayton Speaks episode and then make it uh-huh. a commercial. Right. So I do love AOC but I also think that if AOC was here and I'm in Miami Valley she wouldn't win here. I think that the people have different values. So like my values are, are similar to hers but like I also feel that the people you know there's no farmers in Queens and the Bronx mm-hmm. you know so like the things that she would be advocating for I think would be a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think essentially what she's saying and what I subscribe and like why I'm friends with her is that she believes that the value of people is greater than the value of corporations. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's super important. So yeah, I just, yeah. I'm sorry, I was, just, I was just envisioning Mike Turner making an ad saying like, oh, Baxter and AOC are best friends. Like, like, some like negative ad. And so I, I want to make sure that there's like no, a, a little like asterisk so people could hear the whole thing. I would thing, be but. so ready with like the the season desist. Oh, I was going to say that. We did not clear this <laughs> for release. Yeah. Um, we did not and then I would release the full clip. Like I'm ready for that. I, yeah, besides, yeah. Yeah. Besides, this is deformation of character. Right. <laughs> like besides the fact that honestly like he's running in this race too so like we would love to have him on. I hope they will come on. Yeah. yeah, but when it comes to things like that, especially like if you're going to, if anybody ever uses anything of us and they misrepresent, oh, better, like I have better. the receipts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have the receipts. And so, yeah, I want to make sure that the receipts are here. So right. Yeah. So, yeah. You let us know if you hear anything. Uh, <laughs> we're ready. Yeah. Okay. Um, next word, Black Lives Matter. Yes. Progressive forward police reform happening Kamala Harris uh, yes queen <laughs> uh, yeah. guns second amendment feminism uh, so I'm trying to have a good, a good word <laughs> um, 
Oh, so this, this is a one word answer or like you can give us like a little one word, two words, yeah. a little oh, explainer. Okay, so can you say it again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Feminism. Um, pro. Okay. <laughs> I didn't laugh at feminism. I laughed at the next word. <laughs> Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Vac oh no that's my word you vaccine get one okay community uh, colorful okay. accountability necessary okay Jabad <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Joe Biden. <laughs> Sorry, I that's sounded what, like Maya Rudolph. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That's from a joke. Uh, our, our president. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Affordable higher education. Uh, free sounds good to me. Green New Deal. Let's get it done. Vote. Early and often. Socialism. Uh, People focused. Okay. Equality. American. Bernie Sanders. Visionary. 2024. My second year in Congress. <laughs> awesome. All right. And that wraps up the word association game. So, Baxter, I hope you had fun playing that. Oh, I we love it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and continue. We've just got two more questions wrap this up. Since you're our first U.S. congressional or congressperson that's running and being on our podcast, I have a specific question for you and it um, relates to your campaign. Yeah. So we know that, you know, you're campaigning at, for right now, the 10th district. And if any of our listeners are looking at a map right now, the 10th district is more than just the Dayton city area or the metro region. There is... It's Montgomery County, Greene County, and part of Fayette County. Yeah, so yeah. Because like, yeah, I'm looking right here, and I see Xenia, and the surrounding Beaver areas. Beaver Creek, Zinia. yeah, mm-hmm. Fairborn, yeah. So there's a lot of, I'm going to say, um, rural and suburban area to cover, which, from my experience, has generally been very um, red or Republican yeah. or conservative. How do you plan on campaigning out in those areas and how to like attract the interest of the voters in those areas? So for me, I love the 10th district because of how, I believe the 10th district is reflective of America because we have rural, we have urban and suburban all within one district. One thing that I believe is truly American is freedom. So I, I wanna speak to the people in Greene County and talk about the right to repair. So there's a movement around, you know, when you own something, you should have the ability to repair it and not be focused on the company has the ability to like control what you get. So if it stemmed from the John Deere company, 
So like when you have a John Deere tractor, you have to go through the John Deere company to get it repaired. But there's a lot of really talented local repair shops or people like who have the, like the tools to be able to do that. But under contract, the company was controlling as to how you fix your machines. And so I think a lot of farmers get frustrated with that because they're like, well, we bought this machine. We should be able to fix it in the way that we want. And I believe that's part of having freedom, freedom to choose. So when you have the freedom to choose how you want to fix something, you know, that's American to me. So the right to repair is something that I'm really passionate about. And that also extends to like tech companies as well. Like, you know, if you buy an iPhone, you should be able to fix it in the way that you want. Like you shouldn't have to always go through Apple to like get everything done mm-hmm. because you know, Apple's going to charge you their fees. Whereas like if you want to you know fix your phone battery, you should be able to go to like your friend who has the tech store downtown and like get it fixed there. So I think as we're moving into more high tech appliances and machines, you should have the ability to choose how you want to fix it versus be controlled by a company. So issues like that are something I'm really going to speak on to my like friends in Xenia and out in the district. And also I think most people don't support something because of what they do. They support it because of why they do it. And that brings back to values. And the reason why I think I'm the best candidate to represent our district is because I believe my values best reflect how we feel and think as a region. And I think that comes back to my faith and my ability that I do believe that there's a God, that there is a creator that's, you know, is actively helping our life. And I think speaking to a lot of people in there's a lot of large churches in our area. And so for me, like speaking to those people is going to be really important in my campaign because that's a large part of my life. And like I grew up in church here, like I've probably gone to like every vacation Bible school in the whole entire like green and county and Montgomery County. So uh, my mom like would take us to every vacation Bible school growing up. So like all these churches, like I'm excited to like return to. And that's a re- big reason why I went to Cedarville was because of my faith. And so I think there's so many different areas within this district that like have touch points in my life. I grew up going to feed the cows at Young's Jersey Dairy in Yellow Springs. Like we would get ice cream when I was younger. So like all these areas that are like really important to me are within this district and like why I want to see it, you know, reach its full potential. Okay. And one more thing, I want to give people confidence in my campaign because we voted for Joe Biden as president, but a lot of the same voters who voted for Joe Biden didn't vote for the previous Democratic candidate for Congress. And so as I was establishing my win number, basically like every candidate, you have to sort of figure out, okay, where are you going to get your votes from? I noticed that, so I'm from the suburbs, I'm from Centerville, and a lot of Centerville families, people voted for Joe Biden, but didn't vote down ticket. You know, they didn't vote for other Democrats. And so I think that those are votes I will be able to pick up because those are people that were my neighbors and I know where I grew up. So in establishing where I think I'll be competitive as a candidate, I think I'm going to really be able to challenge Mike Turner in the suburbs because that's my hometown. And so, you know, of course I live downtown now because I believe in order for a city and a region to be strong, the heart, like the downtown needs to be strong. So that's why I'm a resident downtown. But like my family lives in Centerville, my sister lives in Vandalia, my sister lives in Beaver Creek. So like my siblings are in, you know, the rest of this district. And so I think that because of those relationships that I have and have had for the last 32 years will make me a successful candidate. Thank you for answering that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for giving me the time and space to answer that. Oh, yeah. no, no, no yeah. problem. And I want to be, um, a lot of a large part of my campaign will be educational because I do think a lot of what rural people want are progressive ideas. And I think mm-hmm. that they will agree. It just making sure that they know that like, this is how it's going to help them. You know, and honestly, like people in our area are struggling and it's, the wealthy people who don't even live here are actively making legislation that's not in our best interest. 
So whether you live in a city or a rural area, I think I'm, I'm your best candidate because Mike Turner isn't listening to us. He's listening to you know the lobbyists and people that he has relationships with in D.C. and mm-hmm. isn't really even present here. So I think that they'll agree with a lot of things that I had to say as well. Okay. Is there anything that we didn't ask or cover that you would like to say, mention, or plug? I want to make sure all of the listeners go to my website. It's backtrustapleton.com. And also one thing... I really want to begin a conversation with everyone. So I've been sharing my phone number, and so I want people to text me. And so I want everyone listening today to text me their why, or what would I need to do to earn their vote. If they could text that to me, my number is 937-729-2951. And so when they text me, I'll add them to my phone book, and I'd love them to then like share what a vote for them, how I can earn their vote, and what that would mean to them. And then also I want to leave your listeners with Being a storyteller myself, a filmmaker, I always believe in the power of stories. So I want everyone to know that the story that I'm embarking on, we've already experienced before. And a 30-something like myself has actually gone up against a 60-something who's had more experience and been successful. Because in the early 1900s, there is a gentleman named Samuel Pierpont Langley who was commissioned by the Department of War at the time to build the first piloted airplane. So he was given a grant of $50,000 to build a team and help fund his project. So he was followed by the New York Times, had all this military connections, and had all this media presence. But in Dayton, Ohio, there was a group of 30-somethings at a bicycle shop who owned their own business and ended up becoming more successful and actually seeing that vision through of building the first pilot airplane. And those were Wilbur and Oval Wright. Those were, those were the 30-somethings, the people who had new ideas and and a new way of looking at big problems. So I want to remind all the listeners that it's really the young people who usually are the ones that end up solving big problems. And so we can't rely on the older generation to solve problems that they created. So I think it's time for a new voice and a new vision. And I think I'm that person. And we've already seen that before in Dayton. I know we'll see it again. All right, Baxter, we want to thank you for coming on here for our listeners to get to know you better. It's been great to get you to know you better. Um, thank you, you know, so much. Thank yeah, you so Dakota much. Dakota Christian, you're incredible, and I just want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing to help amplify all the candidates and, and just allow people to know what's going on. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and for everybody, make sure to go check out Baxter's uh, campaign website. Follow him if you want to keep up with him. So we want to try and make sure that things go well for next year's election with Baxter. Hopefully yes. this will be our next congressperson <laughs> the sitting one right now. No, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> but please come on the show. Yeah. yeah. No offense. You're more than welcome to come on this show, Mike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but until next time, I'm Dakota. And I'm Christian. And this is Dayton Speaks. And we have spoken. Life on the other side, roads better, schools better, everybody get their license back, grocery store food better, custody of your kids back, homeless people get new shelters, if we gon' fix the U.S., we gotta start with them two letters, me and you, somebody told us that the government wanna keep us broke, but the only reason why those people in the government is cause we ain't vote, and I ain't talking about the president, I'm talking about the ones we ain't know, see they was gon' try to keep it low, but it's gon' hurt them when they see the pros.